Hello and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. Um, today I have a really interesting and good conversation with uh, a person who is a close personal acquaintance of mine. Uh, it's actually my girlfriend, uh, Jenny B., who uh, we have, who has been actually a really formative, I talk about it a little bit in the interview, but has been a very uh, helpful, transformative voice in my life. Um, in terms of seeing things from different perspectives, um, sort of being more aware of how, how to communicate and how, you know, what, what kind of messages we're putting out into the world. And so I've been wanting to have her on the show for a while at some point to talk about, you know, how we can take those kinds of, uh, messages into the world of game development. Um, and recently she published a, a thing called the, um, Ethical Storytellers Manifesto, and, uh, I, you know, I, I find it really just an awesome piece of work, uh, artwork in and of itself, but, um, that I think people should know about, but also, um, it, it really applies to game development. Um, it's about 25 points or so, uh, of, uh, sort of like, here's something to think about while you're making your thing. And, uh, it's for stories, but, you know, games and all art in a way is sort of projecting narratives. They're projecting a vision of the world. And so I think that it's something that we can all use um, to some extent or another. So, uh, yeah, the conversation with her was really cool. It's kind of a short one. I'm kind of on a hiatus uh, from doing the podcast. I've been really good about focusing all my energy over this last month or two on Dragon Bridge, which is my new card game that I've been working on. It started off as an 18 card little card jam thing. Now it's become, uh, it's a 36 card game. It's still very, very small, but it does a lot of really cool things and it works really well. It's fun. Um, I'm really proud of the characters and the world and the, uh, the, the, and the gameplay. Actually, there's, there's a lot of, uh, I wrote an article, five cool things about the design of gem wizards. Another thing I didn't really mention in there is the fact that this game has no discard pile. You like at no there's really no time when cards are just discarded everything is always sort of being refed into the system and so i think it just it's very um efficient with the information that it has it's only got 36 cards so like it kind of had to do that but um yeah i'm i'm pretty proud of that and i think it works well and it's it's fun and um i was playing with uh Isaac Shalev the other day who you might have heard on a previous episode and he said that um it kind of uh, we had a conversation about how it doesn't have like a deduction-y sort of feeling to it or card counting sort of feeling, which a lot of very small card games have. Um, it has more of like the feel of like a bigger strategy game, but it's in this tiny little package. And um, so I'm pretty proud of that too, because that, that is really what I wanted. Um, I think it does some information horizon stuff pretty well. Uh, anyway, I could talk about it more, but and I'll, I'll have probably an episode about it at some point. The thing that you need to know is in probably about a week from the date of publishing this podcast, I intend to um, launch a Kickstarter for this game. I've been working on it like crazy. And that's why that's one of the other reasons that this is like a short, simple little bonus episode, I'm calling it. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, please stay tuned to the, uh, the Dragon Bridge Kickstarter. Um, you can sign up for my new mailing list at, uh, keithbergun.net slash sign up. And I recommend doing that. Um, but yeah, um, 
without further ado, I bring you my conversation with uh, Jenny B. I want to tell you a little bit more about her. Um, she worked on the game Equivoc. Uh, she created it. Um, uh, she did. Uh, I did the music for that game. Um, but she did all the art, the writing. Um, uh, actually, Ido Yahieli. I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. I should, after all these years I've known him, uh, did the uh, programming for that, interestingly enough, which uh, you may know him from Oro fame. And also he uh, worked on Cardinal Quest and a few other games. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, so she also has a master's. She has an undergrad in graphic design, which you can uh, really see that coming through in her manifesto. But also she has a master's in something called visual narrative, which is kind of a new... Um, major at SVA. Um, and it's really cool, actually. It's like, uh, you know, they do a lot of stuff like comics and, and things like that, but it's really like, uh, storytelling, uh, the artist, the art of storytelling in a visual medium of any kind. So it could be, you know, she's, she's making films. She's making a, a sort of like a TV show actually right now. Um, uh, a short, you know, web series, but it's live action. And, um, uh, actually, the first episode of that you can also check out. That's called Negative Space. That's up on uh, on Vimeo and probably other places too. Um, but yeah, um, I'll I'll provide all the links in the show notes if you want to know more about Jenny. Um, but yes, uh, without further ado, my conversation with Jenny B. Hello, Jenny B. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So I really wanted to have you on to talk about, so you're a uh, storyteller primarily, you're a filmmaker, you make uh, narrative video games, um, and so this is, you know, it's kind of outside of the wheelhouse of usually what we talk about on this show, but I have had other, I've had people who aren't game developers at all on before, and like the thing is like, you know, what I'm trying to get at with this conversation is... um, how we can take your work, particularly this uh, storyteller's manifesto, uh, and and apply that into lessons and things that you know game developers, strategy game developers, um, or other game developers can use. And I, from reading your manifesto, and obviously you know I was around for the creation of it and gave feedback and stuff. But I mean, you know, I should let people know that really you have been very. Um, formative for me and in, in a lot of the ways that I've changed my view about creativity and art and the responsibility of artists and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I wanted to have you on to talk about the manifesto, but let's first start off by just talking about, uh, the responsibility, I guess, of artists or creatives. Um, what do you think the responsibility of, you know, uh, like if somebody is making something, what is their responsibility beyond just making something, I guess? I think stories are the things that change a person's mind and form a person's worldview. I mean, that's pretty unescapable. You know, advertising knows this. You know, they bring in story consultants all the time. Um, you know, from the time you're born, you're like soaked in this world of advertising, but also this world of stories, you know, you're watching cartoons, you're reading books and, you know, we bond very deeply with these, you know, I, I call, you know, characters, but I, I often think of them as, you know, fictional persons, you know, they occupy these very important roles in our lives, you know, and, you know, they, they kind of shape our perceptions and our, our value systems. I know when I was little, I 
you know, I really idolized people like Sailor Moon and like Prince Lear from The Last Unicorn and like these, you know, very heroic figures who just always wanted to like do the right thing and help people. But like, you know, and I and that's all kind of incidental, right? Like I could have latched on to other, you know, characters and with like very different values. And, you know, that happens all the time. Like, you know, kids find other, you know, characters that they resonate with, you know, kids get really into things like, you know, video games that glorify violence. And I identify with characters like that, you know, they're playing things like Fortnite all the time and like, you know, living out these domination fantasies. And like, you know, I think story is something that's really important to execute with responsibility because it's literally shaping society and people who think that it's not (laughs) people who who believe that things can be apolitical or should be apolitical um i frankly i believe that that is just i don't know i I think it's an amoral standpoint and immoral and like more of an immoral standpoint and you know they're they're doing great damage to society yeah i well, so I love that you brought up advertising and I've been thinking about advertising recently and how every ad is, you know, ads for a very long time have really not been trying to sell the product. They've been trying to sell a story, a narrative and an identity. So like so many ads are, you know, if it's an ad about razors or something, it's like really an ad about like, you know, what what it means to be a man or something like or, you know, what it means to be a dad or like there could be all kinds of different things that it's trying to sell. But the thing is like, yeah, like you say, like advertisers know this and they like pay real serious money to make these kinds of little ads, which are like these little stories, because they know it works. And so this idea that like in video games where we have so much denial of the resp- of the power of narrative. And of course, you know, again, this is a, like a mostly a strategy games podcast, but like all, all, all artworks, all, you know, even if they're heavily abstract, they create a little world and a little narrative. And, and there's all kinds of things that are being spoken to about your identity and your, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, who are you for playing this? You know, what does it mean when you play chess? And, like, what does it mean when you win? What does it mean if you're, like, an aggressive player and all this kind of stuff? Like, there's... So, so anyway, yeah. I, I So, I guess you're saying the responsibility of artists is is what, then? Well, I'd say the responsibility of artists is like they. So I, I've had the conversation with people where they believe that, you know, maybe so art doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? That, you know, maybe people just want to make a good story and then that story happens to be political after the fact because, you know, we're all people, we all have beliefs and then those beliefs are going to sink into our story via our subconscious, what I call my, like, you know, your story gut um, after the fact. And then, you know, you can see that in the narrative. I believe storytellers have a responsibility to think about these things ahead of time and consciously make these decisions um, and to, to like actually put a point into your story um, or maybe not a point. It doesn't have to be so directed, but to like, to not do harm with your stories um, and to not just let your, you know, your story gut or your subconscious make the the decisions for you on this axis. Um, yeah. I, I guess I believe that, that that's kind of the moral responsibility of a storyteller. 
Yeah, because when you just work like sort of subconsciously, you're basically going to reproduce what you've been given and what you've been like. That's what we're all doing is we're all sort of reproducing things. And like, you know, I think um, uh, like I, I was just thinking about Steven Universe and how how important it has been to me. And it's something positive that I want to reproduce kind of, you know, so we need positive examples of things that we can sort of reproduce. Um, I don't think I would say that. I, I do believe everyone has their own perspective to bring to storytelling. I do think that even if it's coming out of, you know, your story gut, it, it is your story gut. It's going to be unique. It's going to be interesting. But that is to say, I don't always think that it's operating in a positive way. I do believe that, you know, we all have unconscious biases and things like that. And, you know, we all make mistakes. Um, I, I do believe that, you know, We've all, like, I've definitely perpetrated some things that I, I don't think are ideal. Like, I made, you know, I, I made the, the visual novel at Equivoc, and I, I don't necessarily think that story does a lot of good in the world. I do believe it does do, you know, on the aspect of, like, of maybe representation on some level, like, it has a non-binary protagonist, but, like, and maybe on the the axis of you know telling teaching people and children to question things and not just take what they're told and as like gospel i think that's good but then i also believe there's the potential for unintentionally empowering you know people like dark web people who are like constantly tearing shit down and trying to like you know be this intellectual boogeyman and like be like oh yeah well like here's like all my jujitsu of the brain and why you're wrong and like you know and the facts aren't feelings argument and i think i've unintentionally you know may have supported that in equivoc but like you know that's not how i feel like now and i don't think i even felt it then but i think i maybe accidentally supported it at like the time in like the stuff i put in like in my subconscious maybe and I think, you know, my subconscious maybe did some damage. Well, but that's also maybe another responsibility of artists is to evolve, you know, and to see things that, you know, in our past works that we could do better next time, right? Like, I think I think that that's a big part of um, what, um, you know, what my, what I've always wanted to do is like, you know, whenever you go out in the world and you make something like your manifesto, you know, uh, you're basically, it is a, both a destructive and a creative act because you're saying the things in the past, you know, we can do better than that. Let's move on from those and learn from those and make something new. That's, 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 you know, that's better and fixes some of those problems. So let's get into that manifesto if, if you don't mind. So you released this, uh, only a couple weeks ago. Um, and it's a, it's like a zine, right? Like, um, so that's the primary way that it's getting, I think you're, you're going to be bringing it to, to, to SPX, right? Yeah. Um, and well, you can talk about that a little bit and just like, well, we'll, we'll plug that at the end, but, um, the, uh, the, it's, it's a really cool, really awesome graphic designed, like little zine that has all this artwork in it. Um, it's also in PDF form. Um, but, uh, so it's a, basically a list of like, here's a bunch of things, to uh for any creative i think um to consider when making their work and some of them i think apply a lot more i think they all apply to game development but some of them apply more so than others um so so yeah do you want to just like talk a little bit about the manifesto and like what, what made you want to make this and you know how'd you get this idea um so 
I got this idea. Well, it, the idea of humane storytelling has been kind of germinating for a while. Um, I have an MFA in visual narrative, and at the visual narrative program, I kind of constantly came up with like situations that I felt frustrated by, like lack of representation in maybe certain stories we were reading, um, and just like I don't know. I just I guess I I kept coming up against these sort of moral quandaries around me and feeling like you know and and my classmates as well like i i was very fortunate i i was in a very woke class um and like we all were kind of like looking around and like throwing our hands up in the air like what like <laughs> does anyone else see this and but i i i felt very strongly um that a lot of things could have been solved if there was some sort of woke like not woke but i guess like you know like more woke guide to storytelling that people could point to or some sort of humane storytelling class and like i was like i think my classmates got very tired of me going on and on about this um but it that notion really stuck with me to the point that after uh school had ended i i i started thinking about really making a guide for this but then the thing that really pushed me over the edge into making it was uh I read uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's conversations with, I think, David Naiman, it is, uh, on writing. And so I have I have to be honest, I've read a... I don't know if I've read any Ursula K. Le Guin books. I might have read... Um, oh my god, I'm fucking blanking on the... The, the first book in the Earthsea trilogy. Um, like a very long time ago to the point that like I can't even remember if I actually read it. Um, which is terrible because she's like a really brilliant author. But reading this on writing between her and David Naiman was like really kind of revolutionary for me in terms of like just seeing these things that she she was just like talking about in terms of like the treatment of women in writing like historically and how they've been buried for so long and like just how socialist she was and how like she represent like in her approach to writing and how socialism and writing really kind of go hand in hand sometimes and how they they work a lot I don't know like just reading that book was very revolutionary to me and I was like oh wow like this isn't as like pie in the sky as like I think like other people have been thinking about these things for very for a very long time it just you know maybe isn't as simply codified in plain speak and like modern terms uh as I thought I guess yeah, I, I, uh, so so part of it was going through your program, and a lot of the resources were stuff like, um, uh, oh my god, I'm blanking on his name right now, uh, McGee, McGee, or Robert McKee, uh, story, and like a lot of, yeah, a lot of these like old, and this is, happens in every field, you know, you have these old textbooks from like 30, 40 years plus ago, and they're all written by white guys and, you know, people with very particular experiences, very particular uh, backgrounds. And, you know, I think that our generation is starting to be like, hey, you know, there's a lot of other kinds of people in the world, too. And I wonder, like, what they think about uh, story or, or anything, you know, uh, any other uh, field. So that's really cool. So I think th I think this is a really great resource. There was one um, piece uh, point that I wanted to, like, talk about with you, like, you know, individually. Um, there's so they're they're organized into points, and uh, how many points are there total? Yeah, there's um, twenty five points. Okay, and they're divided each into one, two, three, 
five subheadings. Gotcha. Yeah, and the uh, there was the um, the story and responsibility section. I th- I thought was the most um, perhaps uh, directly applicable to game developers, at least from my perspective. Um, point twenty four in particular uh, what read uh, it was avoid hierarchical thinking, and I wanted to talk to you about that one because I I feel like that one's like um, well let me just read it real quick. It says recognizing that better and worse are often meaningless value judgments that are often founded on the tastes and standards of the privileged. And so, like, I, I agree with that and I understand that. And, you know, I think that points to all kinds of things that we do in society that are like, you know, you you, uh, you get a bad grade. You, you know, like, uh, it's totally fair that we allow there to be billionaires because they worked really hard. And so they get to have thousands of times more wealth than like an uh, average person. Um, and uh, but in terms of going going to competitive games, you know, I think it I think it gets interesting and challenging to like navigate that space and be like, well, how do we like so how do I as a person who wants to be a responsible storyteller and a responsible art maker, how do I navigate um, or how would you recommend someone navigate um, the space of competitive games or let's just say strategy games and around the, a point like point 24? Well, yeah, so it's interesting you bring this point up because this is one this is one that's I think people have been getting stuck on a lot. Um, I've had a lot of conversations recently about this, and I think people really cling to the hierarchical thinking, um, which is surprising to me because I you know, I do think part of it comes out of this weird up by your bootstraps like libertarianism on some level, um, which surprises me that people cling to that. Um, but in terms of relating to specifically strategy games, um, what do you mean in terms of like how, how it relates? Like, do you mean like h- how to gauge like if one game is quote unquote like comparing two games or gameplays or win conditions or? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm thinking like, so if I'm a game designer, which I am, and I want to make a game next year, right? And that game, uh, I want to make, you know, a strategy game, a, a competitive game. And how do I, how do I sort of do that? I mean, you know, obviously you can't get into like nitty gritty details here on a podcast, but like generally like, you know, something like the concept of winning and losing, you know, is that something that is, this is something I've been struggling with for a while, but like is winning and losing fundamentally toxic (laughs) Uh, or is it something that we can, so, so like when I had Dan C on the show, you know, he talked about how when there's high trust, um, you know, competitive play um, can be, uh, can be like a, basically just a positive thing. Um, but, uh, you know, whereas obviously when there's low trust, like a situation like League of Legends, uh, it's just the toxicity comes out in full force. But I mean, you know, on any level, even if we have the highest of trust, you know, if you, one person loses, the other person wins. Isn't there like a hierarchizing and like a social stratifying there? And is that something that's just like maybe not recoverable in your opinion? Or what do you think? That's an interesting question. So writing out this specific point, I definitely was thinking of it in the lens of like, you know, the way we talk about things and we say, you know, oh, this is good and this is bad. And we compare often things you shouldn't compare like pieces of art that each have their own specific value and to expound upon this point the it really just means that everything has its own unique value and currency um 
But to turn it to winning and losing, and if win and loss would have an inherent hierarchical value, which they kind of do, um, that's an interesting question. Because I think about things like Gree that came out pretty recently, and how Gree has no loss condition. Like, Gree is just like, you go through, you interact with the story, you play the puzzles, and you just do the thing. And... I feel very strongly that it, like, it's onto something. Like, it really, it under. I feel very, I'm, I'm gonna just talk, and I feel like I have no foundation on which that, like, I have no like to stand on. I feel like to make these claims, but I really feel like that's the way games are going and should be going. The idea, like, eliminating a loss condition, because like why like why does there need to be punishment like why are games punitive like i don't understand that you know and and that's not to say i don't enjoy winning i i really enjoy winning i'm very competitive but i you know but things like agree like if i fucking if i fall off a cliff like because I, I don't put in like i i don't put an input incorrectly like oh no i gotta start over like are you fucking kidding me like i don't like that that's stupid that's just <laughs> well okay and it's it, well let's let's i mean in the case of like a platformer that's like you know a linear sort of story based kind of thing i i agree with you completely but but what about like something like a, a skill-based game like a board game like okay. pandemic or something okay. right? I'm, I'm getting it. I'm, I'm working my way up okay. i'm working my way up that's you asked me a thing that i have to literally brain out on a podcast so i'm i'm the wheels are turning so a strategy game that is entirely based on decisions and should there be win and loss well i mean there has to be an end condition right that you're going for. yeah you there has to be a thing that you're you're building towards and i mean the game has to end eventually and then otherwise it's just like you're doing a thing right like you like why aren't you just baking a cake or like well, it could end with a non-hierarchical ending of some kind. Like, but it's kind of hard to think of what that would be. Um, I mean, you know, like, so something that's a step in that direction is the Euro games, like, you know, Agricola, Puerto Rico, where you don't really interact that much during the game. And then at the end, you have some score and, you know, but score is still hierarchical. Um, so I don't know. It's like, I, I sort of do kind of, I kind of do think that, that win and loss is kind of fundamental to the strategy game. And I think that the strategy game is a, a useful thing to have in the world, but maybe it's just about like responsibly using that or something. I think maybe it's about, and again, a lot of the points in the manifesto are like, as they are as much as you can do them, right? Like they're not like, if you can't, I mean, ideally you should, <laughs> stick to them as strictly as you can like one of the tenets is like don't put toxic shit in your stories like don't have toxic masculinity don't you know don't do like horrible racist shit like you know fucking follow those but you know if in terms of like a strategy game and if that's inherently hierarchical um i guess the way to follow that as closely as you can is make your strategy game as not hierarchical as you can like there doesn't need to be degrees of losers. Like, I don't need to feel like I came in last, last, last out of like a bunch of people. And I don't need to feel like, you know, 
like I feel like maybe that's a thing, and also maybe more team based games, like co-op. more co op games. You know, some like stuff like Battlestar. I think co op like, is the future. Personally, I I agree. I do think co op is the future. I love Pandemic so much, and I you know I think there needs to be more stuff like it. Um, I I enjoy the feeling of a board game somehow beating me. That's very mysterious. Yeah, and because the hierarchy there is like, you know, you and your friends are all together, and then some like system is above you, and it's like, who cares? You know, like that doesn't that doesn't feel the same as like a person being above you. It's just like you all tried to do this task together, and you know, you succeeded or you failed, and, and that seems maybe better. Um, are there other points uh, in there uh, in your manifesto that um, you feel like? you would want game developers to know about most in particular? I mean, all of them. <laughs> Games is i uh... I'm going to have to think about my words here. Um, fraught industry. Um, they are a fraught industry. Um, so, I mean, I think they should read my entire manifesto, but I guess if I had to pick or is there one that you just would like to talk about? I mean, I guess one to talk about. That's, that's also so hard. Um, because I, I... All right, can I talk about two? Sure. All right, I'll talk about two. Um, one is from the story and experience section. Um, just reflect the world around them. Humane storytellers, uh, humane storytellers reflect the world around them. They understand that the world is made up of people with diverse backgrounds, perspectives, and experiences. And to represent their fictional or non-fictional societies as homogenous, e.g. white, able-bodied, straight, cisgender men, is disingenuous and harmful. Um, I think that one kind of... Go, I mean, it's, it's fairly obvious that I think, like most games, are white, able-bodied, straight, cis yeah. men. And, you know, they're... That, that doesn't represent the world that we live in. That's, that's yeah. not genuine and... It's a lie, basically. It's a lie. Yeah. You know, it's a lie that, you know, game companies are telling their players and themselves and they <laughs> need to wake up. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm happy that more games are realizing this, you know, things like Overwatch, you know, I, despite Blizzard and all of their many problems, you know, I, I do appreciate that they are taking steps. They're, yeah, they're taking steps, you know, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one that I'll just mention is um, from Story and Solidarity. Uh, humane storytelling recognizes strength and solidarity, i.e. it believes in unionizing and the ethical treatment for all creatives and non-creatives. Creative work is labor, and so we are all laborers um, because games need to fucking unionize. Yeah, I, I have, I've had friends that have been working in the industry, and I remember in the 90s talking with him, and, and I remember saying to him, and this is when I had no knowledge about what really unions were that much, other than just, like, the basics, and I remember saying to him, like, because he would tell me that he'd be working these, like, crazy shifts all the time, and I'd be like, like, why can't you guys, like, unionize or something? And, you know, he didn't know either. He was just like, uh, I don't know. What is that, you know? Uh, and, yeah, it's um, it's it's been something that's been, you know, and now there's there's some talk about it, which is really exciting. Um, so cool. Um, so, Plug, uh, you're going to be at SPX, right? Uh, tell us a, bit, a little bit about that and where else we can find your manifesto. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be at SPX, the Small Print Expo, uh, actually at a table for my MFA program, which is through the School of Visual Arts. Where is that event? Um, that's in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, so, and that's, I believe, the 14th and the 15th of September. So come see me and buy my manifesto and I'll give you like a hug or a high five or a wave at a respectful distance if those other things aren't what you're about. Um, and you can check out other people's work. There's a lot of other awesome artists there uh, who are going to be showing work. There's cool stuff there. There'll, I'll probably have free stuff. You can come get free stuff. Um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, it will also be available, or it already is available on my Patreon, uh, Jenny B Design. Uh, it's available as a PDF for free because one of the tenets in the book is that I believe story is a human right and everyone should have access to story. So the whole thing is available online for free if you want to read it. Uh, it's just the zines that I'm charging for. Uh, and soon it will be online as a podcast. Because I'm going to be launching a story podcast soon called um, A Bunch of Stuff That Happens, which is an inside joke uh, about a thing that the head of my MFA would always say, that story is not a bunch of stuff that happens. But counter, I think it can be. <laughs> so, yeah. Very cool. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jenny B, for coming on the show. And uh, we will stay tuned to hear about your new podcast and other things that you're working on. So thanks again for coming on and uh, see you soon. I will. I'll, I'll catch you around. <laughs>